Hello everyone, this is Ohm, coming to you on a brief tape delay on Ohmcast. It is Saturday, November 2nd, 12.20pm, and uh, you know, I realized I took a little time off, tried coming on Ohmcast with my buddy Ted, and I definitely got out of my flow, not that I had a flow, but any... Any progress I might have made as far as, you know, gaining a little traction and momentum was totally knocked off track. And that's not Ted's fault. Ted, if you're listening, I mean, you probably think it is a little bit your fault. And I can't blame you for thinking that, Ted. (laughs) No, it's not your fault, Ted. It's both of us. I listened to myself on those. It just... There was no chemistry there. And that's not to say there never will be, but for now, I'm going to go back, and I'm not going to get into my Trump stuff. And I mean, I will talk about the art of governance and, uh, and politics in more of a general sense, more of a broad, um, overarching sense of, you know, maybe some trends of what I see in society, and it's hard to know, really, to get a good, uh, to get a good read on the pulse of American society. So many people think they know, I mean, some shows are good, like that Vice show is good, Bill Maher has some good guests, but I mean, where you live, it's hard to know. I mean, it's just, it's difficult. But anyway, I think some, uh, a good place to start is just the fact that, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the divide between left and right, you know, liberal and conservative, has to do definitely with, uh, economic systems, um, for society, and there's capitalism and socialism, and uh, and capitalism has been incredible and and basically worked miracles in the United States, and is so powerful and and so uh, has so many possibilities. You know, the possibilities are endless. What capitalism can do now, like any powerful you know, thing or system, it can go overboard. Unbridled capitalism really has turned people off. And you see that in America. I mean, great book I read, and it rings true. How much is enough? So many people, I just want to say, you know, I see what they do after, you know, earning their money through the power of capitalism. It's like, okay, not enough money. That's not enough for you. You need to be this way or act this way or do these things. And uh, and I understand that uh, there are a lot of people who like to just keep working, keep contributing, keep, you know, having meaning and purpose. And what comes with that is just more money. It You know, it earns their money. But some people are just trying to earn more money doing what I consider meaningless things, just more and more and more. And it's like, with so many people who can benefit from that money, and there's also, I get, I think it's very American since back, 
um, you know, going back to the 19th century and certainly the early 20th century, that somehow your standard of living has to do with uh, what you deserve and what your character is made of. And, and it, honestly, yes, yeah, certain people earn that money by hard work and they deserve it. But uh, there are plenty of people who are pretty unintelligent, you know, who just got lucky and, and don't do anything that I consider quality, who get tons of money. And I'm not going to say like organized crime and, you know, mafia and people like But, I mean, I see people like that. They get these egos that they're somehow, like, proper citizens and, like, respectable people because they have a lot of money and they can buy a tuxedo and a ball gown. And it's like, come on, you're a fucking retard with no class, no style, no mind, but whatever. And I'm not taking a shot at organized crime. But, I mean, that mindset kind of go, you know, whatever. Uh, this is things, well, let me get back on track here. Capitalism and socialism. So I'm reading a great book, The Code, Silicon Valley and the Remaking of America. And I'm learning a lot about venture capital. And uh, and I think, and, and I have read a lot, you know, uh, I've read a, a bit of uh, Karl Marx, The Communist Manifesto. Which has been distorted. Um, Karl Marx, I mean, yeah, there are some bad things, but he, I don't know, I didn't know him personally, can't know him personally, obviously, but that's like a, a, a bad word, a lot of negative connotation, scary, anti-American Karl Marx, socialism, you know, the Red Scare, you saw what McCarthy did. You have people who lived through that, and their kids now are fucking idiots too, like communism. And I just, I just want to break the news to you, everybody. Karl Marx did his thesis on Epicurus, so communism was basically molded after Epicureanism, if anybody even knows what that is. And my point is, is that a good thing, a healthy thing, a positive thing, you know, twisted, turned, taken to extremes, and gotten wrong, doesn't mean it didn't start off with good intention. Basically, like religion, Manuel Kant, or Kant, whatever, he had the thing that religion has good intention. You know, it always starts that way. People want to have a moral code. They want to have a civilized society. They want to raise their children well. But what ends up happening? People start getting killed in the name of God. It's like, whoa, how did we get there? So, But what I want to say is that there's an unnecessary clash between capitalism and socialism. And this is what really annoys me about... American politics and governance. Why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't we find common ground? Why can't we take the positives from both and try that's I mean that's basically governance and every every worthwhile thing is an experiment. And obviously if you look at you know, American history and world history, it's like a pendulum swinging back and forth, and it overshoots the mark, and then it has to correct and readjust. And right now, we're in a correction, 
and I don't want to get into, you know, my distaste for Donald Trump, but I, I believe we're in a correction. We're going through some growing pains. Populism, a lot of people have to let go, and that's okay, they will. But I also, I saw a documentary on uh, an American radical a journalist, um, I.F. Stone, who's like, you know, a, a, a journalistic hero figure. And uh, so I started reading his biography, and it was, you, I learned a lot from reading The Code and, I, and, you know, the remake, Silicon Valley and the remaking of America, and reading I.F. Stone, the biography. I learned American history because you learn a lot of the context, the backdrop of these things getting started and taking off. Like, I.F. Stone's early life, and he, he, he was Jewish, and he grew up in Philadelphia, and you learn what Philadelphia was like in the early 20th century, in the anti-Semitism. And then the coach, Silicon Valley, I learned what California was like after World War II and, and during the, uh, you know, when Sputnik got launched in 57 and the technology rush and Eisenhower and then Kennedy wanting to take us to the moon. And... Uh, and then venture capital coming into that. <clears throat> anyway, I'm all over the place. I need to get a little more organized. But uh, I also wanted to make the point that, you know, one of the positive things, well, I, I did, I got very disorganized when I tried to mention how socialism. I you know I get knocked off track because just saying the word socialism, I almost feel like I gotta look out for men in black suits who want to put me in the jail cell for talking about it, or God forbid, mentioning some positives about it. They start calling you a Bernie Sanders sympathizer, and they want to wave a, an American flag and a MAGA hat and like beat you up. But then again, who's that? Who are they? But uh. But socialism and Karl Marx, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, the workers and the wealthy, the owners, the employers, the, the owners and the bosses. And I mean, come on, you can't really argue. There have been, obviously, honorable and, uh, <clears throat> and gentle and, and respectable owners and employers. But I would say the majority of them have exploited the workers. The proletariat. Now, if you want to take the sides of the workers and help people to have a, a more balanced, equitable society, then, you know, some things, some aspects of socialism are valid. Now, people say that that has to be total anti-capitalism and no entrepreneurship and the government wants to take all your money. They jump to the extremes. No, that's not what Bernie Sanders is saying. That's not what he's saying. Everyone wants to paint that picture of him. And Bernie Sanders, I will say, will be remembered as a hero. <clears throat> he can't be appreciated in this time, I feel. Maybe he can. He might rally and win this thing, but it's really uphill, which it shouldn't be. I mean, Donald Trump is a fucking kindergartner. He's an idiot. He, he's thinking about Big Macs and putters. 
You know, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. His dad gave him a million dollars when he was still wearing diapers. He's, oh, and I'm not, I said I wasn't going to get into that, so I'm not. But let me get back to, okay. So one of the benefits of capital, I did mention socialism. One of the benefits of capitalism that I've benefited by is like you have these e-readers now, a Kindle or a Nook, like these these, I got one of those, and they just suggest things to me. So I'm reading books I probably wouldn't come across. And then you have audio books. So I'm reading, and I'm not, you know, that uh, industrious. I like to read, but I don't go out of my way to learn. I wouldn't, my point is I wouldn't go out of my way to learn things I'm learning. When I get my hands on them, you know, I'm kind of lazy. If you put it right in front of me, yeah, I'm going to read it. and I'm going to enjoy it. But I wouldn't go out of my way. And that brings me to my other topic I want to talk about. And I mentioned the other day. I got my identity as a youngster to play sports. You know, and it's kind of a commentary on America. You know, people in the computer and electronics and uh, arts... And theater and things like that, they get a reputation and an image. And then you have people who like to play sports or, you know, play music. And people get divided into different categories. And that's another great book, Don't Label Me by Irshad Banji. Don't Label Me is a great book. But that's a point of mine, labels and categories. It's a very Western civilization thing. And it's it's very stupid, the labels and categories. And I'm like, it took me a while to realize, but I'm like, why did I pigeonhole myself? I'm obviously not a basketball player. I grew up wanting to be on the Boston Celtics and basically denied myself the opportunity to learn how to play an instrument, to learn how to paint or draw, you know, to to do a lot of other things that I might have been good at. <clears throat> but I loved I, I, I loved playing basketball. And I did have some success that helped give me some self esteem. And I and I will talk about sports. I want to talk about Kyrie Irving, who I've talked about before. I've seen him on ESPN. He's you know, he's an interesting guy because he's obviously very intelligent and he's an incredible basketball player, incredible athlete. You know, so he's he's just transcendent, you know, more than even the average transcendent people. You know, I mean more than just athletically, physically, he's he's intellectually transcendent. And it's kinda He's shooting himself in the foot, and that's a very, you know, has a negative connotation shooting. He's just being himself, and that's kind of his point. And how the hell do I know what's really happening with Kyrie Irving? That's kind of the point. How the hell does anybody know what's happening? with? You can know what he's doing on the court, but he's also being judged, you know, for his attitude. He doesn't even know what's up. That's a crazy life. The all of a sudden your life is displayed on ESPN and everyone's got a judgment and a comment and thinks they know what the fuck is going on. But uh you know, it's interesting because uh <clears throat> I was just watching something on on Epicurus and uh you know, it hit 
attack in uh, you know the days of Stoicism and the ancient Greeks. You know a lot of the philosophers like to contemplate what it meant to be good and ethical. And Epicurus took a different approach. He wanted to explore, to examine what it meant to be happy. The word I would use is satisfied. So you know a lot of semantics, but uh. You know, he decided that a lot of people think <clears throat> um, that uh, erotica, you know, sex will bring them happiness or money um, or um, the other one is like uh, big houses. Well, they didn't have that kind of stuff, but living in the lap of luxury, you know, like a palace. Which today would be like to live in a huge house and drive luxury automobiles and have a yacht, which goes along with money. Um, and basically those things, he, he didn't say these exact words when I was learning from, but they are, they're illusions. They're illusions. That is basically what he, the, the conclusion he came to. They won't, they can bring some satisfaction, but they won't bring, I, I don't believe in it. A lot of people would agree. A lot of wise people would agree. Not that I'm wise, I'm a wise ass. But a lot of people would state that they don't bring satisfaction. They will not bring adequate satisfaction. But, you know, we fall into that illusion. It's all over the television. You know, children are taught that young. You know, you watch TV, you watch movies, you believe money, sex, drugs, alcohol. You know, that's where it's at. And that's an illusion. One last point I want to make, and then I'm going to let this go. I'm outside right now. It's freezing out, by the way. Well, it's not freezing. I'm kind of a pussy, but it's chilly. It's, it got chilly fast. But anyway, I was reading something about fake news, and uh, <clears throat> and fake news is an epidemic, and uh, I have a couple of points to make about that. I mean, we have Kellyanne Conway, Trump's um, advisor, who came up with alternative facts, and Trump, who's popularized the term fake news, and there is a ton of fake news now. And there was fake news back in the... Colonial days, Benjamin Franklin was writing, um, you know, false things about to get people excited to rebel against the monarchy, you know, that things soldiers were doing, um, partnering up with Indians and raping women and killing people it you know to get people fired up to start fighting so you know and along with some other things people have my point is people have utilized fake news for their ends for their agenda um and uh but a problem with the the you know the fake news that's happening now it takes it's kind of like jenga if you think of society as jenga if you start taking blocks of trust out of the foundation, you're going to have a, a, a danger of a, a collapse. You have to be able to trust. Some other interesting things I was reading in a Malcolm Gladwell, his new book. But that's 
Another point I'll make another time. But Ann Coulter I had seen, and she said something. You have, you can't lie. People can't if, you, if people don't tell the truth. You can't have a functioning society. Now there's always going to be a certain amount of mistruths and, and lies, but on the whole, you, people have to tell the truth for the most part, or else you will not have a functioning society. Now, if you have in media. In news publication now there are they are teaching um, media literacy in, in the public schools now and that will spread. <clears throat> so that comes to my ultimate point. You know, we have things impeding progress today, um, and with Trump and and this populism and this nonsense, it's basically, you know. A short-term obstacle. It's a growing pain in America being the greatest democratic society that's ever existed. It's a growing pain. You know, it's a dark spot. You know, in 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 a long history of growth and progress, where we take uh, two steps forward, one step back. You know, have you heard that before? Two steps forward, one step back. Trump is obviously a step back. And I don't know if he'll win a second term. Even if he does, that's just more pain we have to take, more of a hole we got to dig out of. Now, I realize that's not good for climate change. Climate change will get worse. The carbon footprint will increase. All very negative stuff, however. And my point about fake news and climate change, obstacles that we face in America, in the world today, the fact that... There is increased awareness. A spotlight has been shown on these obstacles. And the young people are aware. And we and the millennials are great. You know, I substitute teach, I see these kids, they wanna make the they wanna change the world and they're and they're very intelligent, they're very tuned in. And the future looks bright. It's getting better and better. America is always bound to get better and better. And America is the world's melting pot. And the world's getting better and better. People are being uh, raised out of extreme poverty. There's much less <clears throat> indiscriminate killing and wars going on. You know, the media will not let you know. They don't want to paint that picture because you're not going to buy their newspaper if it's, you know, all uh, all good news. That's no fun. And I agree. People, people have a very high pain tolerance for other people's misfortunes. I read that. That's like a maxim from uh, the French philosopher. Who who wrote maxims in like the seventeenth? Uh, La Roche, La Roche I think his name is yeah. And the funny thing here was people are very tolerant for the pain of other people's sorrows, something like that. Which basically means people love bad news about other people. People are fucking vipers. They suck. All they care about is bad news that other people are going through. And it really saddens my heart that... I mean, it saddens my heart that people take part in that, that they get joy from other people's pain. I feel sorry for them. I'm like, your life 
really sucks that bad that you need bad news about other people to make you feel good about your pathetic fucking life. But anyway, that's probably says something about me because my life's not great. That's why I'm going to read a book now. Thank you, Omcast out. Okay, good morning. This is Ohm on Omcast. November, what's that, November 4th? Monday, November 4th, 10.45. Broadcasting from the kitchen at Ohm's Cove. Just sitting here thinking about stuff. And, uh... I figure, what the fuck? Let me get a little Omcast going. I, uh... Thinking about my childhood, thinking about people I grew up with. That happens when you're on Facebook. You see a lot of people. Um... I see a lot of people. I remember a lot of things. I'm surprised by things they remember, you know. Some different friends I've been reunited with. And a, and a new friend I made. <clears throat> and it's interesting because he's actually a pretty staunch Republican. His name's Pat Paquette. And uh, he's a little older than me. And it's weird because when you're an older kid, when you're young, he's an, he becomes an older kid. And then when you get older, you're obviously <clears throat> in the same generation, the same cohort, but you still cons- I consider him an older kid. And I never really knew him too well, but I knew his reputation that everybody kind of liked him and he was kind of cool. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, I know more about him now, mainly from Facebook. We go back and forth, and he's always a gentleman. I, you know... A lot of these Republicans attack me. They make ad hominem attacks and get angry. And and it sparks up my anger. You know, he always... I think because he has kids, he's he knows how to... Well, obviously, that's not true for everybody. But he keeps it cool. He's a gentleman. He knows how to <clears throat> have a, uh, a civilized exchange of ideas. And it, it baffles me that I could actually be friends and like and respect somebody whose opinions uh, and views on things I find so bizarre. But yet I think he's such a cool guy. And he's always very gentlemanly about everything. But anyway, he's in the military, which I, you know, I also respect. So that's me drinking coffee. And actually... My Facebook, I don't even remember how I became Facebook friends with them. Um, but I remember it was years ago. I was going through <clears throat> some mania. You know, I have a traumatic brain injury from a car accident. And I also have a drinking problem. I'm sober now, like nine months. And I have been sober for a couple of years here and there. But anyway, this was a couple of years ago when I wasn't sober. And uh, I had been in the rehab, and then like a psych ward, I was out of my mind, I was manic, and I remember being home, and I was on Facebook, you know, just like, very hyped up, scouring Facebook, not necessarily looking for arguments, but just like, 
I was kind of, you know, wild-eyed. You know, I was just hyped. I was manic. And when O'Malley's brain gets fired up, you know, he gets very animated. So I saw, and I, like I said, I don't know how me and Pat became friends. But probably, you know, you have friends in common and you make a Facebook crowd. I don't know who requested who, but we're buddies on Facebook. But we hadn't really exchanged anything. And he's, a, he's an army guy. They're, you know, I don't know the extent of his service, but I know it's pretty, <clears throat> it's pretty extensive. And uh, it was a lot of years. And uh, he put on, you know, a thing about the army. And I had been in a rehab with a guy who was a, you know, I was going through a very anti-government, anti-authority, anti-establishment phase. I was just angry. And I'll tell you why. I'll let you in a little bit on Ohm's background. My dad is a Vietnam veteran and he has leukemia because he was there in the jungle in 1967 when they were indiscriminately dumping Agent Orange on everything and he you know years later got diagnosed with leukemia and uh, and at the time this was years ago not a lot of years ago this was a few years ago he wasn't experiencing any <clears throat> problems yet he is now a little bit but uh, I was angry because I knew <coughs> what's happening now this day would come <coughs> that he would suffer from the leukemia and there was a guy in the rehab, big drinker, and it was funny because we knew, he was from Staten Island, and we knew another guy who I had been in rehab with, who was a college football player, who we used to drink with in Staten Island. So anyway, there's a couple other connections I made. There was another guy from Queens who knew Al Palagonia, the stockbroker whose partner I worked with. So he was giving me background of Al Palagonia when he was a kid. That was crazy. <clears throat> Al Palagonia was Spike Lee's stockbroker. Okay. So a guy from Staten Island, when he had done three tours in Vietnam, he was a first responder on 9-11, <clears throat> and his son got killed in Afghanistan in the Army. And, I, and I'm thinking about that. Those stats, and I'm thinking about my dad, and I'm just like, our government is so fucked up. You know, the politicians are in their fucking summer home, and these guys are waving American flags thinking how great life is. This guy's son is dead. You know, how all these firemen got killed. My dad's got leukemia, you know, and it's like they're, they're like marching cannon fodder. And I understand, you know, like, there's a Neil Young song when he says, we are what we feel. So if these guys are proud and happy and satisfied, that's great. But at the time, I was just like, it's such a game. You know, and it is. The politicians, Donald Trump, he's not a man's man. Come on, think, though. All right, I'm not going to get into that. But the politicians in general, they don't fight the wars. They send the troops, right? And I was thinking about something I had read a little before that. I've always had an affinity for Native Americans. That I was reading about how, you know, giving them um, blankets covered in smallpox. Like, I'm like, the U.S. government. Now, I love the U.S., but the government has been fucking evil. I was just on a kick. I was thinking about how, 
you know, underhanded the United States government could be. I was angry. I was like, my dad has leukemia. My buddy Paul's son got killed in Afghanistan. You know, he served three tours in Vietnam. And the rich men were in their summer homes, you know, making the rules. <clears throat> so, and, you know, I'm thinking about that. And, uh, you know, and I'm also thinking about, like, uh, you know, we have uh, the LGBTQ. It's like, how about the fucking Lakota Sioux? You know, like, look, I understand there's some unfairness in this and discrimination. And, uh, and, it's, and it's not cool. But, like, what, what we did to the Native Americans, nobody talks about that. You turn on the TV and you see rainbow flags and gay rights marches and, crazy, and all this stuff going on. It's like, no one's got the cameras on the, on the uh, reservations in the Black Hills in South Dakota. And what happened to those Do they not count as Americans? They're the real fucking Americans. We're walking on their blood and bones. And stuff like that makes me angry. <clears throat> And I'm thinking about, I have a good friend on Facebook who I knew in college who's very politically oriented and he keeps me in the know in the Democratic Party because he loves Bernie Sanders and now the nomination is happening and we see that uh, the Democratic Party is fucked up. And, and Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, I was kind of liking him and then my buddy clued me in and I realized... You know, before this had happened, I had been listening to Pete Mayor Pete talking about his homosexuality and how he hated himself for being gay. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. He's giving me some insight into, you know, what it's like to be a young man in America and to be gay. It's obviously not easy. And then I started to realize, as I started to find out more about his policies, and I knew he's a veteran, you know, I know a lot of things he's done, and I start to realize he's overcompensating. Now, <clears throat> all of us in America and in the world, we we've always had a war going on inside our own our own spirit, our own mind. There's always a war going on. Some more intense in some individuals than others. Like me, <laughs> I've always had alcoholism and messed a little with drugs, and I paid the price. I was in a coma for five weeks, and I had been an athlete and paralyzed my right arm. So I've had a major psychological battle happening for at least the last 16 years. But I'm looking at Mayor Pete, and I'm like... So this guy joins the army. He's obviously overcompensating for his insecurities and his anger at himself. And it's true. Society's fucked up. We punish people. People end up punishing themselves. And I'm not... I don't like when they say, you're doing it to yourself. You're punishing yourself. It's like, yeah, but society's set up. And it's changing. A lot of things are changing. And that's why I shouldn't demean the LGBTQ. Because we do have to change the standard. You know, but I really wish we could do something for the Native Americans. You know, I, I really, you know, I marched in 1994 hoping we'd get <clears throat> clemency for Leonard Peltier, the, uh, the Lakota Sioux who, who's been in prison for like 40 years now and it's so fucked up. But I'm getting sidetracked on that. So Mayor Pete, he goes to Afghanistan and then he bitch slapped. Beto O'Rourke, who's another Democrat. Thank God he's out. You know, he obviously, 
his press clippings went to his head and he got all excited and he basically fucked himself. You know, he shot for he shot for the moon and now he won't even catch a star because he's an idiot. <clears throat> and I'm thinking about Bernie Sanders and uh, he's the only Democrat who's just... And, and I did start to think he was screwing himself a little bit. And I hope, I know it's an uphill battle... And he called himself a social democrat. Albert Einstein was a social democrat. People who are very intelligent. And you know, and I had learned a little bit about Karl Marx and socialism. And it makes perfect fucking sense. Are you telling me we don't have enough resources and wealth to get Americans out of extreme poverty? People are like divvying, rationing their medicine? And we don't have enough, and there are people who are flying right now to their fifth fucking vacation home. Does that make sense? And I'm not an anti-capitalist. And I'm not anti-American because I don't want people, and that's what Bernie Sanders, he can't be more outraged because he knows. People are like, Bernie wants to give out free stuff. He's like, no, he doesn't want people to have nine fucking vacation homes and other people to have not enough medicine to fucking live. They're eating cat food and you got people like Elon Musk flying to his private island. Like, just because you want to, there's enough to go around and we're just so fucking unadept at managing the resources. When are we going to... And I mentioned this the other day. It's a pendulum. It's overshooting them. It's swinging too far left, too far right. We're not getting it right. As my man Steven Pinker said, <clears throat> treat governance as an ongoing social experiment. There's no one-size-fits-all. We can't just decide on one system of economics or, you know, one system of education or, you know, one health. Well, I think universal health care is obviously coming to the forefront. But uh, let me see how long I've been going. Okay. 14 minutes. I can keep going. Um... Let me. I'm gonna talk about you know my growing up now. You know I want you to know a little bit about me, about Om. Let you know where I'm coming from, and some people know, and I'll mention a lot of my friends on Facebook who I hope are or at least will start listening. Um, I mentioned Pat, you know, because I have a lot of exchanges with him. He's he's very politically astute. I don't even know if astute is the right word because I really don't agree with a lot of his views. And I think Americans are brainwashed that they somehow don't deserve things that they've seen on movies and TV like Michael Douglas, Gordon Gekko on Wall Street, Charlie Sheen, Bud Fox. They're the ones who deserve to be rich and have everything. We don't. We deserve to be blue-collar and hard-working and nothing comes for free. It doesn't have to be free, but there's enough to fucking go around. And there is excessive wealth in unbridled capitalism. <clears throat> People are just brainwashed. Nothing's for free. They don't believe they deserve it. And that's why Bernie Sanders says healthcare is a right. And it is a fucking right. People are profiting, making money off people's sickness. You know, people, people, 
need medication to deal with illness and people are getting rich off of that? How fucked up is that? If you're a pharmaceutical salesman or in that industry, I really think you ought to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what am I doing? I'm trying to get rich off people being sick and I will fight to fucking for my right to make money off their ill health. Look at that. Take a look. At that. Ask yourself if you could be. And I don't know, you know, if what your moral standards are, what you think you should maybe be your purpose and meaning should be in this life. But uh, I mean, I I don't think that's that's too kosher. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself. And the reason why I love sports, like me and my brother, we watch football every Sunday. And I've gotten a lot more into other things outside of sports. But I still love watching football on Sunday with my brother. And my brother is a brainwashed guy. You know, he he convinced himself at a young age that he was only capable of loving sports and maybe having a nice looking girl. And that was more than good enough for him. And he still loves sports. He still his he set his ceiling low, but he's happy and he is a smart guy. But I think a lot of us have set the ceiling low, you know, and uh, and became convinced because of categorization and labels that are so common in Western civilization that we are this and we are that, and people do the same thing every day, all day for thirty fucking years. I don't know. I don't think that's too cool. I'm just lucky that's not my scenario. I get to teach, and I love teaching, and I'm going to branch out and do more stuff, and I don't even, I don't want to be a fatalistic, but like I said, my dad's sick, so I'm going to take the reins. I have plans. I have aspirations. It's going to get bigger, better, and doesn't have, nothing has to happen. You know, because I, I'm satisfied. I'm lucky. I'm spoiled. But, uh, so me and my brother are watching football yesterday, and he keeps me in the know. We talk NBA. We talk NFL. Um, we don't really, he was a good baseball player. He's a good pitcher, but we don't really talk baseball. We talk old guys, you know, about Doc Good and Daryl Strawberry, you know, things like that. Old, old school baseball. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. If a lot of guys have brothers, and even if you have a sister, you know, you've known each other mostly your whole life. So you have inside jokes and you know all the same people. So it's just great when we hang out and talk. Um, And I was thinking about a lot of other friends that I grew up with, you know, and uh, some of them, we got uh, my buddy Mike Adams, he's on here. Hopefully, that's the nice great guy. We went up to his house up in the Adirondacks, and it was great because he has kids now. It just blows my mind. You know, he has kids, and his son, <laughs> I i won't get into detail, but his son, Grant, is, he's a smart kid, and he's a good kid. And, uh, and it's interesting watching my old buddy, who we used to do wild, crazy shit together, watching him parenting. And uh, my other buddy, Dan Moran, <clears throat> he's actually a real good friend of my, one of my best friends. Who's not on, he was my best friend when we were kids, Brian May. He's not on Facebook, 
But it's funny, I'm going to shout about his wife, Katie, Katie Mays on Facebook. And Brian likes to use her account because I realize people scour. People love Facebook. They just love to go deep covering. It's it's a social it's social media. It's a social outlet. So he goes on. <clears throat> Mike Adams is on there. So my other buddy, um, Dan Moran, who's became really good friends with Brian. He we didn't go to high school. I didn't go to high school. Brian or Dan. I went to Catholic high school, so did Brian, but he went to St. Joe's in New Jersey. Great football player. Played at Boston College and uh, <clears throat> played with a couple guys who went to the NFL. He could have went to the NFL, but he never did steroids, which I was always proud of. And Dan's hysterical, Dan Moran. I'm good buddies with his brother, Tim Moran, who's a legend, and I'm hoping he's listening. We were together at my first Grateful Dead concert in 1990 at Madison Square Garden. That was wild. So I have stories, you know, that uh, with all of these guys. That's why I want to get some callers. Let me think who else on here. Um, my buddy John Vassar, he wants to, be, he knows I have a podcast. He wants to come out. I want to have a lot of guys calling. John Vassar knew since we were little kids. <clears throat> and uh, he was a great basketball player, and then and I love like I find out later he had a son, has a son who played Division One college football. I don't even know where he played, but John's a legend, John Legend Vassar, and uh, JV, and uh, who else do we got on here? Uh, mentioned Pat. I can't I can't think of everybody all at once. But guys, I grew up with Charlie Fowl, legend. Hey, Charlie, what's up, my man? And, uh, you know, I make psychological observations of how we're affected by childhood, and I real a lot of them are verified when I see the memories people share on Facebook. It's like, wow, so I'm not the only one who's held on to this stuff. And, you know, we're affected by high school. Like, I didn't, you know, I never thought... I remember I asked a girl once. I said, what were you like in high school? She, like, got angry at me. She almost, like, became offended and demeaned me for the question. And I realized later, you were obviously probably a fucking loser. That's Or somewhat of a loser. That's why you're bothered, because... What happens in high school really, it, it has a lot, you know, and even the earlier years, a good buddy of mine, he's a good buddy of mine, I was drinking with him, and uh, and his younger sister went to grammar school with us, and she's like emotionally scarred by what me and my buddy Brian made, and I wasn't a dick, and Brian I wouldn't say was a dick, but Brian could surgically <clears throat> locate and uh, and jab at people's vulnerabilities, you know, mostly just for laughs. But some people didn't find it too funny. This young lady didn't find it too funny, and, and it's just amazing how we're so impacted by what happens when we're young. <sighs> oh, my other buddy Georgie Gatan, who's a legend. He owns a Atlantic Building Company. He's a very successful contractor. And you know what's wild? 
When I was really young, I remember my dad. My dad worked in a school. He was a teacher and a guidance counselor. But in the when the weather was nice, he would build decks and do kitchens and shit like that. He built the deck for Joe Daytona. He was buddies with his dad. And I remember Joe loved it. You know, the power tools, the skill saw, you know, all this, the, uh, the built, the carpentry. And, uh, and we always did a lot of hanging out. Max, straight up. Straight up, Max. We always did a lot of hanging out. And Joe, later on, became a builder. Which I always thought was so fucking cool. I remember how interested he was when my dad was doing a little building project at his house. And now he's like a large scale. Because when he, when he does stuff, he, he goes full, full bore. He, does, he goes for the whole shlemiel. He's like a real successful builder. And I'm proud of him. A lot of my friends I'm proud of. Um, I also feel bad. I got into a little Facebook discrepancy with my buddy Pete Fortune who was a professional baseball player we grew up together and it's funny because talk about rivalries Brian May who's played football at Boston College and Pete Fortune they were friends they were, we were all boys but they had a little bit of a rivalry and Pete went on and played minor league baseball Brian played division one football you know so it's like it's like that thing where your rivals little rivalries push you you know, and I'll tell you, when I played basketball, the varsity girls basketball coach, and he's very good, Pat Buckley, we were on the same basketball team in Albertus in 1993, and we had a great fucking team. And Pete was also on the team. He was fucking awesome. And me and Pat, my junior year, I didn't play, which pissed me off. But every day in practice, me and Pat battled. We went head-to-head. I played hard. You know, because I, I want that was what that was my basketball for me. Practicing against one of the best players in the county as a junior, just battling with them, and we were without even being conscious of it. At least I wasn't. I probably Pat didn't think much about it either. But we were making each other much better. And then senior year, we had a great fucking team. And Pat made all county, and then he played in college. And now he's a great coach, a girls' varsity coach at Alberta. <clears throat> so I'm going to get in touch with him and go to one of those games, one of his games this year. I always think about our coach, Joe McGinnis. He was a legend. His first year of coaching was my senior year. Tom Collins last year was my junior year, and then Joe McGinnis came, and he was incredible. He had played at West Point in Manhattan. He knew Mike Krzyzewski. You know, he was he was he was a a basketball genius, you know, like he really he was an intense guy and he, he was all about basketball. Which is what I see a lot of people are all about what they do and I respect that. That's just not my thing. I can't get all on board for one thing. But I I but when I was a kid I was all on board for basketball. That was my one thing. <clears throat> and I loved how Joe McGinnis was so into it. I learned so much from him. And unfortunately, Joe passed away early. He had cancer a couple of years ago. He passed away. And that breaks my heart. I went back um, after my... I got in the accident in 2004. And I think I went to watch the game. And one of his sons was playing at Albertus. Albertus Clarkstown South. And I remember 
Coach McGinnis gave me a seat up on the stage, and I was like, he was so good to me. I was like, he's such a great guy. And I'll honestly get a little emotional. My parents told me, or my mom told me, when I was in a coma at Nyack Hospital, he came to see me, and uh, he kissed my forehead. And I was, you know, that almost makes me cry now. And I think, you know, I think back, and I, and I never, I don't know, he just... Uh, I wish I could see him again. I want to talk. I want to talk basketball with him. But anyway, <clears throat> just pay a little homage to Joe McGinnis, definitely a legend. And uh, moving right along, who else can I talk about? So Brian May and Pete Fortune, they pushed each other. We played baseball together. They played Pop Warner together, and I played Pop Warner. I was an older letter, Mike Capra. Who's a legend? He was such a funny guy and a smart guy and a great baseball player. He played baseball at Columbia. Full ride to Columbia, play baseball. He was a smart fucking guy. Now he works like Cantor Fitzgerald. They had him in London for years. So he's very, very successful guy. Okay, my other buddies at Alberta's Greg Valoria, Brendan Gorman, Henry Tulin. Now these guys are coming to you. Henry Tulin. Is a legend. He got a full scholarship to Fordham. He was a pitcher, great fucking pitcher, and he was a good basketball player too. And just a funny, smart guy. Whose younger brother, Greg Tulin, we went to Oswego together for a year. He was a year younger than me. The show I nicknamed him. He was a legend. And then now Greg Valori, a very successful guy. He lives in Jersey now too. Um, <clears throat> loved Greg. I got and Brandon Gorman, who's the uh, lacrosse coach at Don Bosco. We had a and uh, Tim Peabody, who's our coach, our lacrosse coach, and I knew him since I was young. We had a little reunion. Me, Greg, and Mr. Peabody met at Brandon Gorman's lacrosse game, Don Bosco, Bergen Catholic last year. And Gorman was stalking the sidelines like the lunatic he is, and that they lost by one goal. Great game. I'm going to do that again this year. And uh, so that's my reminiscing for now. Um, maybe I'll think of some more shit. I, I don't know if that was boring or whatever. What, what, who gives a uh, I Oh, I'm out.